Are you ready for a new world order? The new world order is now official. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Jones, the prophet from 2016, that clip is from 2022 of them saying, are you ready for the new world order? Let's talk about that as we watch your culture stray further every day. Howdy, my name is Jonathan Fiala. For further every day, producing today in the chair and uh, across the room in the chair of theology, I got uh, Daniel. Hello. How you Howdy. doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Glad to have you there. And I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well. So you're going to be dealing with why we believe what we believe. I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Tutor. And uh, to his left, my right, we got Josh. How's it going? No longer on the phone calls back in the building. In here, that he's still kind of uh, raspy, raspy. But are, <laughs> are you feeling a little bit better? Yes. It's just my voice is just, it's, it, I swear it's just never going to be the same. <laughs> I hope it is. Thank you, dude, for being there. Dealing with the intellectual rigor that the Christian must bring to the faith. And then, of course, his left. Again, my right. We got Miss Nikki. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Glad to have you in the chair of politics. Yes. Change for me. Dealing with the uh, reason why it is so important to take a hold of that institution that God put in there, the government. And uh, yours truly, I'll be... um, Forming the chair of economics from the producer's seat. Chauncey is coming. We'll hopefully have the chance. We'll see if he makes it here. Uh, traffic willing, but we had to start. So let's go ahead and topic of the day. I, I want to open it up because before we were we started, we were kind of waiting uh, in here. We kind of had an interesting conversation kind of going beforehand. I just want to open it up to the room. When you say the new world order... There's a lot of, for lack of a better word, baggage that kind of comes with that. And I'm not really sure that people really understand the gravity of the New World Order and what it um, what it really means. Because you have the hyperbole from folks like Alex Jones, which actually isn't hyperbole. It's just kind of has a bombastic way. Going around the room, starting off with uh, uh, Daniel, you guys can address it from the short sentence. What do you think of when you... I think of chaos. Huh. You own nothing and you have nothing. Be happy, as Bob says. We're not. Not. <laughs> Gosh. So I think about the world order. I think about it in a more economic sense, where it's like Western civilization kind of has a grip on the entirety of the world in terms of like the current current structure and then the new world order would be something to supplant that oh can you, i think i lost my voice no oh. no no oh we're good you're cool. still on you're cool. still on i i just changed your mic volume a little awesome bit. awesome loud but i think of it to be something that supplants the western culture absolutely and and that's something that you will instructionist left they want to construct the geochristian basis so they that's a really good going over to bisnicky i think of the new world uh, order as abolishing individual identity because it's going to be done according to running who's at the top so your opinions your ideas no longer matter unless you're the one at the top 
all ideas tolerated, opinions tolerated, as long as they fall in authority setter on who is structuring society. In this case, it wouldn't be God. It would be like Carl Schwab, which, by the way, um, description to all of the videos that we're going to go over today, uh, you could not get a more Bond villain character, Carl Schwab. All, all German needs a cat, you know, finish the, and he's got the, he's got the accent. He's talking about writing morality, talking about advanced technology. We're going to hit on those points go today, but kind of frightening, kind of frightening. I hear the world order. I think of, I know we all, we all think of that too. I think of revelation into the tower of Babel. I think uh, Miss Nikki her, yeah. actually talking about this before we got on and I asked her if this out. I want Daniel from the back to the start to pull it out and we'll around the room. But there was a mankind all gathered together. This was the fallout. So they're all together in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said one to another, Go, let us make brick, burn them thoroughly, that they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go, let us build us a city. And a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole. So, you want me to continue Keep there? Going. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language. And this they began to do, and this is the key part, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, or Babel, because the Lord did not did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of the earth. Advent, and I don't want you to. Language is literally instant. Separate. That was your. I, I, I want to start off with Daniel. Get around. When man was. What were. Logically. It was so. Replacing, actually, I'm really glad that you said that word specifically. Whenever you think back to the Tower of Babel and everything they were doing, they were fresh off the boat, you know, a few years after. Um, and you, you really see this with any major city. The second people gathered together, like a lot of people, Houston, perfect example. There's so much debauchery that happens. Here. That, that's the only thing I can think of whenever a man starts replace, replacing God with himself. And that's what they were doing. They're like, oh, okay, you're all the way up there. I'm going to go say hi, see what's up. It's like, no, that, that, that there's a reason why we're supposed to be divided. What just happened? Like, what, what had just happened? You said just off the boat. Building a higher city, what did that afford? God. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like, okay, we're better than you. You can't reach us with that, with that flood again all the way up here thing that we so I, I really want to pull philosophy 
thoughts on this. When man starts to elevate, right? Philosophically, what is that? Justice. What does that do? Value. I, we have a meme in our group, and I think it was inspired by me, but it wasn't a meme. It was an, a legitimate question I had, and it's a really philosophical one if you think about it. It's who fact-checks the fact-checkers who fact-check the fact-checkers. <laughs> and if you think about that question, you might say, well, that's a really fun question to ask. But it, think deeper on the question. The question is ultimately about who establishes the truth. Because whenever we decide who's the one who establishes the truth, we have said that that person is the standard for truth. In the case of the Christian, we know who establishes the truth. We know it is the Lord, the Bible. In the case of man, with these fact checkers, they are establishing themselves as the truth. They're the standard for truth. So go to justice. How does that play out in that realm? You have a situation where people have decided themselves to be the justice. And they are the ones who ultimately know the right things for you and know how you should live your life. But that just goes and flies straight in the face of the, the purpose of the word. Can I say something Can, uh, that yeah, goes absolutely. along with what he said? Because on one of the social media things, I grew up in a farming community. Okay. And there is a, a meme thing that come through and it said, do you remember our grand grandmothers used to take aluminum foil and fo- fold it up and put it in a drawer and reuse it. And the fact checker came back and said, uh, we have not found any truth that this is a, a true thing. Well, I grew up in a farming community. It was a true thing. Yeah. And so in that very instance, my reality of growing up was questioned. You know what I mean? And what we're saying is, Who's checking the fact checkers? They can actually have the power, in a sense, to say, well, this is not true. And, and, it, and it really is true. But whose truth are we looking for? And from a political perspective, I just kind of want to get your, your, your thoughts there. What happens when the government is now in charge of what is true? We've discussed this over and over again on this program. What happens when they're wrong? Well, that's the issue, is when a government wants full control like a one-world government, they're playing God. And whoever is at the helm, their truth is the reality in which we'll live. Ask anybody in Germany who was under Hitler. It was his truth. Absolutely. I mean, and that right there is the scariest thing. That is the scariest thing when you start to realize that we've been down this road before. We went, we've, we've been down this road when it comes to totalitarianism and this nihilistic belief that nothing from the old structure matters. And, and, and guys, we're, we're not traditionalists for the sake of being traditionalist by any means. We've talked about on this program ways that Christianity has been bastardized to create something evil, okay? And that's become a tradition. We've talked about that on this show. We're saying... G.K. Chesterton said it really well. A man, a wise man, does not take down a barrier until he realizes why it was constructed in the first place. Correct. You don't tear down morality 
that is set up under God without understanding how we came to this point. You don't tear down the boundaries between countries, between families, and yes, they are coming for our families. You don't believe me? Look at that te- uh, the Texas case where that kid is is the custody battle over this kid is being waged because dad says, no, let them wait and see if we can grow out of this transgender moment that the child's having. And the mom says, no, we need to cut off this child's primary and secondary sex characteristics. The government wants to step in and take control of that situation. Do not, even if you do think that children should be transitioned at an early age, even if you think that, do not be deceived. Anything else that you have that you do think the government should butt out on, they will step over that boundary if it is in their interest. And if it's a one-world government, there's no escape. There's nowhere left to go. Josh, I know you're, 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 you're thinking something there. Well, going to the point of transitions, one of the biggest problems with this whole entire conundrum of a new world order is it's logically incoherent and it's logically inconsistent going to the transition. We think that the child has enough autonomy to be able to make that decision at a young age, but yet we don't let them pay taxes. They're non-taxpayers. They are not held accountable to in a way that a adult adult would be held accountable. The person can't even pick the things that they eat. But yet we give them the ability to make these types of decisions. What it sounds like to me is a logically incoherent worldview and a logically incoherent way of thinking where we want to give the child autonomy without the accountability. Right. Right. I mean, it, and it's it's nuts. There's nothing good about that. Daniel, uh, do you, can you start to pull out some of the stuff on Revelation? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to set it up real quick. Yeah. Because... Remember I said, I think of Revelation, I think of the New World Order. Sorry about that, guys. We had a quick cam crash, and so some of the viewers probably picked it up. Sorry, guys. If you guys are on YouTube, by the way, thank you. If you're on Rumble, we see you. Thank you for the subscribes. And, of course, if you're on audio and you're wondering what the heck's going on, there will be some gags and jokes on uh, YouTube and Rumble. But uh, we may not be on YouTube too long. We'll see what happens. Some of my old videos from my radio show, When Opinions Collide, are now getting taken off because, uh, you know, you can't talk about um, act scenes. I wonder if that was enough to, to avoid the censor. Anyway, in Revelation, we see uh, all of this starting to unfold. This is something that was prophesied, and it was something that people really wondered, how could we ever get to this point? Well, I think Revelation is uh, a great place to look, and starting off in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, Daniel. Yep. So Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, the saints, us. Yes. Um, And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So this is not necessarily in reference to the one world government, but the coordinated effort from the government that we see form later on. And if you look in Revelations 13 and 17, we'll see more. In Revelation 17, we actually see reference to a 
harlot. And I want you to get that in just a second. But to build it up, this harlot comes to power in the shadow of the beast. And the beast being a governmental system and also an individual who leads that system. This harlot comes and she is a religion. She's a religion, but we will see what happens in mass to this world. Those uh, who defy this world religion in Revelation, uh, what is that? Twelve sixteen. Go ahead and get that first, sir. Yeah, uh, it's uh, twelve six. Excuse me. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So there's a lot there. There's a lot there. <laughs> And so let, let, let's go ahead and throw that around the room because some people get kind of squeamish when we talk about it. Some people kind of wonder what, what are we, how much of this is allegorical. Um, just going to throw this around the room, get y'all's thoughts. What is happening here with this one world religion? When this one world religion is instituted, how is theological dissent going to, or even just in general, cultural dissent going to be handled if we see that coming from the scripture? Starting with you, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it it's going to fall apart. So you you see, you see a couple of things here in uh, Revelation six. Uh, you know, the altar of the blood of the saints. Uh, so, and then in Revelation twelve, this actually goes forward with my theory. There's got to be a mass persecution that happens at some point in time. There has to be. Um, w- whenever that happens, and we're on the verge of it, people especially here in America, people think like, oh, that can never happen to us. I mean, look at the uh, amendments. I mean, we have freedom of religion in there. But they don't care. <laughs> they don't care about the amendments. And we've seen that time and time again. They don't They don't care about us. They don't care about how we feel. They don't care about, uh, you know, the way we live. They don't, as long as we give up Christ, that is all they care about. You can be remarkably tolerant until... You have a absolutist view if you believe there are absolutists and uh, absolutes in the world. And and I, I want to put this over here t- to you, Josh. Tolerance. You're in this new world, one world religion. I'm almost positive it's going to be a confluence of Christianity, New Age, Islam, as many things as they can cram together. But the problem is with a religion like that. What? They make truth claims, don't they? And what happens when you mash all of those together? What what kind of conflict do we ultimately get? I think we need to look at the way science is presented nowadays to get a better idea of what that looks like. I'm a big I'm big on science. I love science. It's an amazing thing. I love watching the history of the world. I love watching things of this nature. But one of the things that you see in science, it's very dogmatic nowadays. And they hate that term. They hate that when you call it dogmatic because there is certain science that isn't necessarily dogmatic and it's really truthful, but they don't allow for the questioning of currently established ideas, or at least in their circles, established ideas. For example, when it comes to the idea of creation, they're very off put by it because they don't know where God, like they try to ask the question, where does God come from? And they they run into a conundrum. But when you bring forth logical ideas and statements such as, well, why are there fossils in the tips of mountains that are fish fossils in the tips of mountains? Why are there no undisputed transitional fossils in the fossil record? Why was there this mass explosion of fossils in the fossil record? And we call it the Cambrian explosion. 
I mean, you bring forth these ideas and you get immediately discredited, unfunded, and you're told never to question the current way of thinking. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen at that time. It's going to be something similar where people are going to discredit you. They're going to unfund you. And I think it's going to even be worse than that. And I think it kind of goes to Daniel's point. It's going to be to where they will kill you if you don't follow that system. And well, so questioning consensus is the problem, right? And, and, and you, you nailed it. You cannot question consensus in the new scientism. It's not science. It's this irrational holding, not to man's observation, which is what science is, but to the consensus. And if you do not agree with the consensus, well, you, you have a problem. You have a big problem. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Just look at how they treat transgenderism. You, you know, even people who say Blair White, okay, we, we, we've quoted her, uh, Blair White on this show before. It's hard to know. <laughs> quoted, she goes by her pronouns, but Blair was not always Blair. This person comes out, this is a male to female transition. This person comes out and says, by the way, I support, I don't regret transitioning to a female, but you really should stay away from the kids. You should really stay away from the kids. That person is thrown under the bus because this Blair White disagrees with the consensus. And you're going to see that in this new paganist religion. It's Mm -hmm. very good. It's very good. Moving over to the chair of politics, I want to go ahead and kind of get your your thoughts on how a one-world religion will fit under this new world order politic, which, it, you know, it's going to be an interesting – it's going to be an interesting thing. You mean uh, it's going to be a religion of agreement? It's going to be a religion yeah. of tolerance. You know, the thing about it so-called. is I was – when you are talking earlier, I was thinking – you know, Christianity really is an enemy of most religions because a Christian who studies the Word of God starts to think differently outside the box and starts to emplace God's values, and they're usually quite different than a man, a man's value. Correct. So the tolerance part of when we say, um, you know, sex only within a marriage, well, you're not tolerant. Well... They don't want to explore why we say that. Oh, that's just, you know, that's that's prejudice. You're being racist. They don't want to compare it against the righteousness of God. So Christianity becomes a real threat to people who need to be in control. And you can see why they're going to need to silence them. I think the greatest thing for the one world government in the influence in America will be the church. And the reason I say that is because... The church is so worldly and the world is so churchy that now if you are truly standing up for the word of God, people in the church, church leaders will come for you. Yes. Yes. I mean, look at, look at politics. We have people who are pastors in churches who are on the side in politics that is totally against the things of God. They're embracing and voting for things that are contrary to the word of God, and yet they're pastors. Yes. Yes. And, and, and where does that come from? 
Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pretend that I'm over there in the chair of economics for a moment. Guys, when you trade the gospel for security, mm-hmm. for uh, favor, or God forbid, fortune, when you trade it, it, there's nothing wrong with making money as a pastor. Those pastors who actually sell books and are successful writers, I actually don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is that, by the way, many of the ones I have a problem with also sell the books, but they sell these books and their gospel message is twisted, it's tainted, and they have changed the eternal value that we should be looking for, the eternal value that we should be looking for, for a temporal pleasure. And that's what the New World Order is going to be offering you. They will offer you pleasure. They will offer you a simple life, a life where you do not need to make choices, where you do not need to decide anything, where you will be nice and relaxed. However, let me give you the alternative, or rather, I'm actually going to throw this to Daniel. I'm going to let Daniel read out the alternative to this because Satan always offers you a lesser thing. He always offers you a lesser thing in exchange for what God has given you. And in Revelations 24, there's a uh, there's a reward to look forward to, Daniel. Yeah, so, in, yep. Uh, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast. Neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Yeah, so when it, whenever you're thinking about trading in something. So something you brought out, you know, you're trading in comfort for the word of God. Every time you sacrifice your comfort for the word of God, there is a reward in there. And I, I I can think of countless people off the top of my head. My grandfather is one of them who has given himself to the Lord and his life has completely turned around. Uh, I've heard stories from when he was a kid, the way he lived, the lifestyle he had, and then he completely turned around whenever he gave his life to the Lord. And that's really all we're talking about here. Well, whenever we're thinking about this reward, that's not our goal, but it's the outcome. We should be living this life because of the love of Christ, because of how he loves us. Therefore, we should love. Yes. And that, and, and there's a lavishness to God's love and it. It has to do with his nature. God is not in the sky preparing us a a mansion because he's a he's the best sugar daddy, you know, to, to ever exist. That that's not what's going on. What's happening is is God is preparing bridal chamber for his son's bride. And that's a complex structure, but suffice it to say, marriage, what you have in marriage is a snapshot of not the sex so much as the oneness the love, the affection. That's what God desires with us. And just saying, when you start to take the love of God and replace it with love for other humans at the expense of God, you'll see this utopianism that occurs. But by the way, that utopianism only works if everyone is playing by the same rules. And and so that's where I think the philosophy of that really breaks down. I, w- I want to get Josh, Josh's uh, take on that. When you have a, l- l- let me set you up better. That way I'm not I'm not throwing you in because 
just in case you weren't tracking with where I was going, when you have God's love on the table, communism looks like heaven. The idea, not the reality that always happens, but the idea of brotherly love sharing and everyone getting exactly what they need and us building a future where it's focused not on material things, but on brotherly love. That's a replacement of heaven. But what always happens to people who embrace that philosophy? What happens in the real world and why? Why does that philosophy always fail? So I wanted to address something before I get into this question, but it's a part of answering this question. It sets it up. Tolerance to me is a philosophical facade. Oh, yeah. Because especially in the way that it is exercised in today's world, but more so just in the, in the practical idea of it, because tolerance, the opposite of it would be what? Intolerance. So these would be two conflicting ideas. To be tolerant, one would be, have to be tolerant of everything. And it would have to be a consistent pattern of tolerance. But the problem that you, that you run into with this in a philosophical sense is how do you become tolerant of intolerance when these are conflicting ideas in and of itself? The, so the entire idea of tolerance, in my opinion, caves in on, on itself because you really can't be intolerant of something that's intolerant because it goes completely against what you're tolerant for. Right. Correct. And just, just to point that out. And going to your, your point here, there is a underlying belief in utopian societies that they're, the reason why they fail is they're done the wrong way. Yes. And that it just needed to be done a little bit differently. I posit to you that that's not the reason why they fail. They fail because people have a disposition towards sin and are sinfully natured. From the get-go. And yes, well, a Christian people could accept Christ and they're ruled by the Holy Spirit. To say that they are not striving, that they're not also having these little slip-ups along the way, and to say that they're completely perfect from that point on is also flawed. So can something truly be utopian if there's a bunch of flawed people running the system? Well... Let's actually because utopia, talk about yeah. The, the, the one one place in scripture where they actually tried communism. Does anyone remember where that was? In Acts five. What happened in Acts five? Does anyone remember? They had one purse at the end of Acts four. You hear that they had one purse, and then along came Ananias and Sapphira, and they knew, they knew that God was looking. And what did they do? They, they they lied. Yeah, they lied. They lied. So just it was theirs, and they they I mean they could have done what they wanted with it, but a utopia is a perfect society, in in, in of what we think of when we think of a utopia. And I just pause it, man, that there is no way for a perfect society to exist purely on the basis of the sinful nature of man. Amen. So to the chair of politics, what happens? when we tried this utopia from a political perspective? Well, it's, you know, this is really interesting because when Satan offers a person, what he does is he offers you pleasure. And through that pleasure, at the end of it, is usually misery. God offers you strength, guidance, and 
um, comfort. He doesn't say, I'm going to take all the hardship away. What he says is, I'm going to walk through, walk you through hardship. And at the end of that becomes the peace and the joy. And that's the one thing. When the Bible says that the older should teach the younger, it's because when the older people have worked hard and gone through the hardships and gone through the work and the trials and the failures and everything, they come to what's called an inner peace and strength and satisfaction that is only earned when you walk through hard things. So this utopia will always fail because when you offer pleasure without the ability to walk through hardship, you, you always end up failing. Well, and the, the reason why that we always seem to slip up is because the, Josh pointed it out. Man's penchant for evil always pushes us towards self-interest. And that, by the way, is the reason why the American economy has worked better than anything else in the world to provide freedom, provide opportunity, and to provide, yes, wealth. That only comes when you have a basic understanding of how bad humans are. And you set up a system where not only are the people incentivized to put others first through a free market economy, and an actual free market economy. We're going to talk about some some of the other nonsense with wordplay that, that they use later but an actual excuse me an actual free world free market economy then you have people who are going to be acting in the interest of others because it benefits them then you also have to have a government that protects its own interests against other powers that's why you have three branches of the government once you allow that government to get too big, once the centralization of power gets to be too big, checks and balances are next to impossible or effectively impossible. And what we see is in that is a, the rank opportunity for corruption. Speaking of corruption, let's talk about Carl Schwab. Kind of a little segue there. Carl Schwab. Okay, look him up. And I'm sorry, I didn't have a picture. My computer's acting up. Uh, it, it'll allow me to edit videos, but I cannot open PNGs. So I was having a hard time there. But uh, look him up. He, he is a freaking Bond villain. And he is the founder of the World Economic Forum. We're going to play uh, a, a clip in just a moment from the World Government Summit. I know that's a lot of that's a lot of acronyms. The WGS and the WEF. World Economic Forum is Carl Schwab's thing. World Government Summit is something that Carl Schwab has been actively chairing, participating in, doing that sort of thing for, for I believe eight years now. And uh, Carl Schwab is the one who says, "You will have nothing after the Great Reset." Huh. Sounds like something that um, Alex Jones has been talking about for twenty something years. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just saying. He's been talking about it for a long time. By the way, this YouTube video is going to have some sort of warning underneath it about either the Great Reset, about the World Economic Forum, or about uh, the New World Order, okay? I'm just saying, it's, it, that's hilarious because we're going to be quoting them. We're going to be quoting them. And link in the description below to the full video. Unlike other people, please watch the whole thing. Go down there. We didn't cut things out of context here. We're going to put – well, we did cut one thing out of context, but it was for a good reason, and you'll understand why when we get there. But uh, we're going to play a little part of a 30-minute panel. We're going to play a couple parts. And so clip one is the issue of governance, what they think about governing uh, the world. And uh, 
this will be this will be an important pickup here. If y'all can uh, bear with, we'll uh, we'll watch this. We'll be right back. I want to come back to uh, the whole issue of this uh, issue between uh, democracy mm. and authoritarianism. I think that this uh, sort of binary mm. is, from our perspective, is not the one we see. I think there are so many shades uh, in between, and I think, uh, for example, in COVID, it was really government efficacy that really identified who did well and who didn't do well. But I believe that you do ultimately need, uh, perhaps in the middle between these two, you need something called governance. The issue is government effectiveness and whether the people consider the government to be legitimate. Democracy is one way to achieve that. There are other ways to achieve it. And the legitimacy is gained by uh, governments that can deliver the goods, effectiveness to their people, <coughs> can deliver freedom, which people want, so ensure human rights, ensure freedom, but at the same time ensure order, ensure, mm. ensure safety, ensure health care. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and health care to my new empire. Okay, I'm just saying, <laughs> but it sounds a lot like a villain from a movie, doesn't it? They're talking about, so I, I want everyone in just a moment to give your thoughts on that clip and give you give your honest reactions on governance, governance, the efficacy of, of uh, the government is what people really want. They don't really want pure freedom. They want freedoms like LGBT, the uh, 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 right to homosexual marriage, you know, all, all tra transitions funded by the government, all health care. Those are freedoms. They're using these words and they're, they're dinking with words, but that's what it really means. So I, I want to go around the room and get everyone's reaction to that. What's something that stuck out to you as a, as a bit of a problem? Oh, dang. Where, where, where do I start? Um, man, there, there's, that's the first time I've seen that clip, and there there is a lot to unpack there. I, I just find it funny how they mention freedom, and it's like, oh yeah, we're also going to be watching your every move. Uh, so if you do anything we don't like, you don't have freedom anymore. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Josh, any thoughts there? I thought his the interesting observation by I believe is he the is he from Saudi Arabia? The yes, gentleman, the Saudi gentleman was that he was saying that the way in which the the, the totem pole essentially on who performed the best during COVID was the governments that were most effective. And what then does that mean, yeah, I would like to know what his definition of government efficacy is just so I can get a better picture of what he's trying to say there. But then I thought the next gentleman, when he came in and he was saying, you know, freedom. And then when he said freedom, he is already outlining what he thinks is freedom, which has nothing which, to do with freedom, which, which, which also pause for, pause and think about what he's saying essentially he's saying that oh as long as i give you these things you're good i mean you think about it in america it's like yeah all you have to do is pay your taxes do x x x y z and you got freedom yeah yeah and, and and just for those of you who have a short memory but they memory hold down what do they do in italy with their citizens what do they do in china with their citizens they welded those people shut. Think of how effective Italy was. And look at what they did to their economy anyway. They actually shut old people up all in and cloistered them all into cells. What did they do in New York, for those of you who are living in America? 
What did they do in uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer State? What did she do? She piled all – she and uh, Cuomo piled all the elderly into one place. In fact, Whitmer actually put criminals in with 80-year-old COVID patients. They crammed them all in together, and you had 80-year-old people getting their brains beat out by criminals who should have been in jail. And separate from that, that, I suspect, is the efficacy that the Saudi was talking about. And by the way, if you want to go a bit further, and I, and, and I want to throw this over to uh, Miss Nikki, link in the description, but just recently, if you guys have been watching in the news, um, Jamal Khashoggi's murderer, effectively, mm-hmm. the prince of Saudi, they're not even... Al- Biden is not even allowing the lawsuit. His admin says that they're immune to the lawsuit because of their position against uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia because of his position. So he has a journalist murdered. Whether whether or not you like Jamal Khashoggi, the fact that a dude just straight up got murdered for being a journalist, that's a problem. And the fact that the Saudi prince is not going to be held liable at all. I'm pot, I mean, I'm just saying I, I don't want to necessarily go around attributing intent but right here, I think I will. I think that Saudi would find that that would be very effective governance. Just think about that for a moment. Moving over to the chair of politics, your thoughts. Well, um, when he was lining out freedom and government control, doesn't really go hand in hand. Those two things are not the same. They're not the same. And the government in America has always been by the people, for the people, of the people, is – we determine who is in office. We determine the policies. The people in office are our servants. We're not your servants. That's the difference here. And a one-world government or an authoritarian government is one person making all the decisions. Well, that's not a good thing. No, and there's there's that's why America's in the way. And by the way, if you watch the whole clip. We're going to talk about what they think about blockchain in just a moment and and how they're going to deal with cryptos. By the way, cryptos are going to go away if they have their way about it, and we'll, we'll explore that in just a second. But to your point, to your point, uh, this economist who's an advisor to Biden, watch the whole clip. It's 30 minutes, but it's really interesting. These are people who are literally in the position to take away your freedoms, and they're saying if they're going to. Okay, So it, it's worth the watch. But this one lady comes out and says, oh, you know, the – American dollar was really effectively weaponized against Russia. But, you know, that's kind of like not a good thing. We want to be able to do that mass scale. America is a threat to these people. That's why they want to knock down the barriers. That's why they want to build the UN to be a stronger, more authoritative governing structure over the United States. And they say here, you're not going to go to one, one world government right away. You're going to have things like the United Nations. You're going to have things like the European Union. You're going to have these things, and then we can knit these together. Again, there's just way too much to get into every single thing that they had in that 30-minute clip. Josh, do you have something? Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get into the blockchain clip, talking about uh, about money. So let's go ahead and see what they have to say there. We're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having a almost perfect record of 
every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. In my opinion, we're going to need a digital constitution of human rights if we're going to have digital money. Uh, but also, this new money will be sovereign in nature. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. And the question is, will that new system of digital money and digital accounting accommodate the competing needs of the citizens of all these locations so that every human being has a chance to have a better life. Please, no! No! Did you hear the intellectual jambalaya of wordplay she used there? Oh, uh, absolutely. The absolute nothingness, but she threw it in there to spice it up. Oh, yeah. So, like, what? break down that word soup for us. Go ahead. So, break down that word soup. So, whenever what she said at the end doesn't matter. What she said at the end is just, she's just trying to say that as a... Oh, Soften you, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, hey, we're going to give you guys a digital currency. And you know what? We're going to institute that digital currency. And it's not going to be private. It's going to be be able to see them by the government so that we're able to track every transaction. And if you do anything shady, we know. And if you do anything okay, we know. Oh, but then I'll throw in this little bit of intellectual jambalaya at the end. That means absolutely nothing. And then there you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's So let's talk about why blockchain is interesting and why crypto is so good but blockchain currency is bad for those of you who don't understand what what this is effectively there's a transaction record of every single thing that you purchase everywhere your money's been every little 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 bit of money has a tag on it every hypothetical and by the way it's all fiat it's not tied to anything but every little bit of money is tracked so that if you spend money, say, tithing to the wrong church, if you spend money on ammunition or, God forbid, a firearm, protect yourself. If you spend money on uh, literature that is considered um, problematic, say, what to do with your child who's struggling with same-sex attraction, right? These are all things that will be used against you. So from the chair of theology... This is going to be an interesting one, and, and, and I do want to kind of actually deal with where the money is coming from. Coming from the chair of theology here, I kind of want to actually deal with this. When you take away people's choice and their autonomy, God really valued autonomy. What was the first thing that he gave man? What was the primary thing that he gave? And he valued so much he was willing for man to stab him in the back. He gave man what? Free will. Free will. Elaborate Free will. for a moment. Well, so when you think about free will, which, by the way, government doesn't want for you. They want you to be a bunch of sheeps, uh, which is not what we as people are designed to be. Uh, But when you're thinking about this topic topic of free will, you go back to Genesis 2. It's like, okay, you have Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, perfect world, perfect utopia of what the liberals actually want to make, but they will never be able to uh, because of the sin nature that we have. Um, but we, they lived in this perfect utopia and God was like, okay, you have free reign over all of this. You can do whatever you want. You can eat of anything you want, but you see that tree right there. Don't touch it. Don't eat it. Cause if you do bad things will happen. 
And so th- th- there are a lot of scholars out there, and we can have this discussion, I'd rather not, of whether or not that tree was actually special or if it was just the idea of the tree that was something significant. But that that's irrelevant. All that matters is God was like, okay, here's your one rule. Follow it. And the first opportunity that we had where uh, Satan was like, oh, you know what? Don't do that. We were like, okay, let's not do that. A couple thousand years later, here we are. Well, God values, and, and I, I think what you're getting at there is God values your ability to decide right and wrong. He values the ability for you to choose. It's the first thing that he gave man was free will. That's part of love. And you might say, well, but doesn't America today, for example, not allow you to commit capital crime? Well, yes, there's a punishment. There's a punishment for that. And and, and, and I, I want to tee this up for you, Josh, in the chair of uh, philosophy. There's a punishment for crime. But in the new woke philosophy, which is going to I, – I firmly believe it's going to shape the, the, the harlot of revelation, the one world religion. In the new philosophy, there's wrong think. If you even think this way – you will be canceled. You will, you will, and canceled, let's define that. You will not be able to earn money. You'll not be able to earn income. You will not be able to go anywhere and speak to people. You will be ostracized from society. And the only thing taking that one step away from a gulag is the actual gulag. But that's what they want to try to do right now, socially, culturally. But from a philosophical level, Josh, once they have the ability to take away your options and opportunities, are they not repla- trying to replace themselves, replace God with themselves and institute themselves in that way? I'd also like to be able to step into the chair of politics a little bit here. I, I really don't. So here's the thing. The lib- obviously, we know that the Democratic Party, they, they, they usher in these ideas of progressivism and liberalism and the... Republican Party ushers in the ideas of conservatism and small government, where the Democrats offer bigger government. What I think we're talking about here is something completely different than both of these. It is big government, but I don't even think it's big government. I think it's something completely different. It's like even worse than big government. It's dictatorships, and and it's and it's on a mass scale, a worldwide scale. Mm-hmm. And when and that's exactly what happens when. You have somebody who puts themselves in the positions of God, and it it, it doesn't work across the world. I mean, we, we talked about it from the historical perspective. The historical perspective, you can go to North Korea. North Korea, the citizens have terrible lives, but they are told that they're living amazing lives. You will you own to, nothing and be happy. Yeah, you'll own nothing and be happy. You look at Soviet Union Russia. There were certain people who definitely benefited from Soviet Union Russia, but how about the Jewish people? Did the Jewish people benefit from Soviet Union Russia? Nope. You look at Germany. Did those people? Did the Jewish people benefit in Germany, or did anybody? Did certain other groups of individuals, like the poor people, benefit in that era of Germany? The blacks, the gypsies. The blacks, the gypsies. No, there's always a group that's going to be targeted with this. And I think when it comes to the, we're talking about end times things. The group that is going to be targeted is it's going to be the group that follows God. 
and it's going to be specifically 100%. the God of the Bible, and it's going to be well, who follows Christ because sure. what Christ is offering is freedom. What he's offering right. is an identity that's not in the government, an identity that's in something bigger than yourself. That's right. And that's a direct threat. That is a direct threat to what they're trying to build. So what will we see, Ms. Nikki, in the chair of politics, what will we see come to Christians who dissent? Oh, persecution. Um, death. I mean, there's just they're not going to be treated like a... Uh, a normal citizen, they are going to be the threat against civilization. Just like when the unvaccinated during COVID, you were a threat to society. You were a threat and a Christian is a threat and and they are, they are a threat because it's free thinking. When you study the word of God, you answer to a higher power than the government. And if the government is not having a moral standard, then you voice that because that's how the Holy Spirit leads you, and you are a threat to that government. Why do you think China, Communist China, has rewritten? They have rewritten the Bible so that Jesus is also is not only a sinner, a vile man, a violent man. They've rewritten their authorized Bible. If you have a Bible that is based on the long lineage of received texts in China, that is contraband. Why do you think the communists are so worried about how certain texts in Scripture read? Why do they bother themselves with that? Because they don't want people to, th- to think outside the box. And let me just say, we were talking about the transactions. Um, you know, this is just software. Software can be hacked. Software fails. Uh, people oh, but lose. It's blockchain. But people lose data. There's terrible, you know, there's some mistakes. When you have a software developing company, which I work for one, uh, you have to have people in service all the time. You have to constantly be um, fixing. We, you have, we have a, a group that that's all they do is they fix the bugs in the program. You know, you have to have updates. Um, if you're a good hacker, you can go in there and you can corrupt the data. So if you're, you're leaving this... Utopia is not necessarily as utopia as you think it might be. Well, and on that note, I I actually want to come to the last clip of the day. And this clip is from a TEDx talk. Now, this is not World Economic Forum stuff directly. By the way, World Economic Forum, check out their stuff on YouTube. I mean, they they go through all of this. They say you will not own anything. You, You will not own anything and you'll be happy and you'll be able to rent and you'll be able to. They're not hiding it. And, and and the fact that people – and again, I, I love to joke about Alex Jones, okay? I, I, I do. I, obviously, we, we threw a little jab in there, but it was a playful jab. It's infuriating that that man has been railroaded and gaslit when he's been actually – other than a few serious mistakes, he has been reporting on this for 20-something years. And he's been kind of right. I mean, and and now they're just coming out and saying stuff that he was saying in 20, you know, 2002, 2012, 2016. He was coming and saying, it's coming. It's coming. Look at these people. They're coming. I think he did himself a great disservice by his approach and by the way he talked and just the wild things that he says. But um, now you have the frickin' frogs gay. You don't want to take the frickin' frogs gay. 
uh, I, I think you're actually seeing uh, everything play out. And this one lady is uh, going to be talking this TEDx talk. I went ahead and threw overlays over uh, each of the uh, over the video clip. I could I could do video overlays, but I couldn't open a PNG on my computer. I'm I'm just so frustrated. Windows can be a brat sometimes. But you will see these overlays here of where each of these industries has failed. That she wants you to sell everything, abandon everything, and uh, just leave it up to the government. So. Let's go ahead and uh, watch this real quick. Someday soon, personal cars may be banned in cities, replaced with an autonomous vehicle service. Will our houses become services too? If I have a special occasion, I might 3D print a dress designed especially for me and custom shoes based on a scan of my feet. Once the event is over, I'll simply drop them in the recycling bin. The material will be recycled into its original state. My apartment has no closets, no washing machine or dishwasher. I don't need to worry about mortgage, maintenance, or even renovation once in a while because furniture and decor became services too. Once we have kids, We'll probably subscribe to a baby equipment and toy service. Like the ones that Every failed. couple weeks, the toys will be swapped and we will receive fresh ones, sterilized, of course, based on my kids' age and preferences. My home will transform as my needs change, when I move from city to city, or as my family expands. I can stay for a year, for a month, or even just a few days. When I travel, I don't need to pack anything. The things I normally use will be waiting for me wherever I land. So let's just recontextualize that real quick. And they lived happily ever after. Oh my gosh. <laughs> let's recontextualize that real quick in the, in the idea of, y'all remember, and we covered this in 2022, uh, where the truckers protesting the vaccines mm -hmm. mandates, they had all their assets frozen. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Uber, Ubers are harder to get now than they used to be. What do you think is going to happen with a government-maintained uh, rideshare system? You know what? If we can't handle the post office right now and the things the government are servicing and what she's talking about, that's, I mean, that's la-la land. And these are private companies which are which are incentivized. They're incentivized to get it right, and they still get it wrong. Why in God's name yes. would you ever trust the government to do that? Or someone like Carl Schwab who cares nothing for you. And, and Josh. Trucks already got ELDs. They already got the, the uh, your hours limit. My recommendation, get a paper log truck. Get a paper log <laughs> It's just not going to so, – so – this sounds really good to some people. I'm sorry, to me, it sounds claustrophobic and terrifying. Uh, but the thing is, is it, the reason why is I've read a little bit of history. I've looked at a little bit of man. And, and by the way, it sounds really cute being able to just manufacture your clothes on the, and you don't need anything. You're this, uh, and she describes herself. She self-described as a possessionless nomad. Right. Other than her phone, 
her skinny jeans and her shirt and her 3D printed necklace. She's a, uh, a possessionless nomad, right, is, is, is her thing. Um, what happens when you decide that your kid is four years old and maybe you, you, you should decide to transition them just yet? Maybe you do that when they're older or let them do it when they're an adult, when their brain's fully formed. Or let's say that you're like any of us in this room and you say, no, what's going to happen to your bank account? What's going to happen to your ability to buy and sell? By the way, just throwing this to the room, what's going to happen in the end times with the mark of the beast? What are you not going to be able to do without it? Buy or sell. Buy or sell. What happens there? They have full control. Mm -hmm. So just... Going around the room, you know, just just to kind of wrap up and, and, and not to put too fine of a point on it, but theologically, when we have folks who are coming to us and talking about, well, look, the, there does need to be a change. Look at how chaotic the world is, they'll say. Why don't we go to a one-world, strong, centralized structure? By the way, in that, in that in, uh, WGS summit, the World Government Summit, rather, they said uh, it'd have to be decentralized. Well, it'll it'll be centralized really quickly. Just give it less than a yeah. decade, and it'll centralize. I promise. They'll figure a way out how to do that. Um, but from a theological perspective, when someone comes and they and they tell us, "Well, the world is chaotic. Shouldn't we just go ahead and all fall underneath this one world structure, this one world government structure?" Um, how do we point them to the Bible and to Revelation? And use this as a as a tool for evangelism. Yeah, well, so th- there there are a couple of thoughts that I have on this in- entire thing. Uh, number one, I don't like the idea of my father having access to my finances, much less the government. <laughs> it's yeah. just it, it's it's so scary to think about how open they've been about this. Um, and going back to your point, you know, like putting a finer point on this, you. You really just have to think about it. Okay, so a couple of things there. Yes, the world is absolutely chaotic. There, nobody here is denying that. That that that's how we as a as society have gone. We've gone down the wrong direction, and a lot of that is because we as Christians have failed to step up and do our job in society to tell people about the good news. Because world government is not the solution. Jesus Christ is the solution. Amen. Um, and we've we've always seen that through history. Uh, I mean, whenever you think about the foundation of this country, where were our founding fathers from? They were from a tyrannical government where they had no freedoms, where they were from... Centralized power. Exactly, which is what they're offering to you now. And they're like, okay, this isn't working for us. So they left, fought a really bloody war, and created this this country of freedom where we can make our own decisions, where we can have uh, our own things, where I don't have to worry about, oh, if I buy the wrong uh, toppings on my cheeseburger, I might have my finances taken away from me, which sounds silly, but who knows? Maybe tomatoes are racist. Well, in all seriousness, buying beer or buying video games in China goes against By the way, link in the description below. China has a social credit score. China has a social credit score, and they base it off of what you buy. They base it off what you buy. So, and, and, but just I want to get back to that a bit later. But for now, I, I want to hone in on something. You, you, you did 
bring out something that I would like to zero in on. Biblically, you watch throughout Judges, the path of Israel, they come back to God. They cry out against oppression. Yet what do they do when a generation rises up that does not know the Lord? What do they do? They say goodbye to God, right? And then what happens? They, They fall apart. They fall apart as a nation and they fall apart as a people. So when people push for this trend, for this neo-paganistic, uh, scientistic, uh, scientismistic, I don't know where to go, society, we can point them back to history, can't we? And we, we don't have to look further than a 300, 400 years ago, but also you can take them right to the Bible and we can show them the history of Israel. So that's a really good thought. Anything more? Moving on to the chair of philosophy. This one world order, this new governmental structure that is going to be ultimately communistic in structure. Give us your wrapping up thoughts. Someone says, well, doesn't it, isn't it more merciful? Isn't it more gracious to take on this, this more loving structure where we help those who are, you know, poor or who are unhealthy and where the common good affords for those people. What is your response to that? And then to the new world order in general from the philosophical chair. You know, the only thing where I've seriously considered that idea was in the healthcare realm. But apart from that one, the, the whole idea is that you would, that these people are going to do it well and that they're going to be able to execute on it at a high level where the historical precedent has shown that they're not going to be able to execute it at a high level, but they're different. How, how are they different? I loved what George, or it was not Jordan Pearson. It was Ben Shapiro said this. A lot of people would not associate themselves as being the people who would have been okay with Nazism in Germany. Those people are lying. We are the pe- we are the people who wanted Hitler to be there. Yes. Unfortunately, like, because in the entire idea goes to the, the point of like, we would be like the, the people who say, we don't want Jesus to be crucified. We'd cry out. We would protest it. When in fact, we're the dirty sinners who would want him to be crucified. We're the people who are calling out, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Because Barabbas is safe. Because Barabbas is safe. Guess what Barabbas doesn't do? Barabbas is, is, is for the revolution from Rome. He brings us mm-hmm. political interest and he's exciting and he's willing to do what it takes to make sure that we get what we want. What does Jesus do? He yeah. tells us something different. Yeah, and there's a dissociation there in this, thing, in this, in this thoughts that says there's no way I could do the evil thing and I'm not capable of it. And I'm and I'm I'm always going to do good, and that's the underlying message. And and when people say that, when in fact the it's quite opposite. When given the opportunity to do bad, humans have shown the proclivity to act upon the bad more often than the good. Just look at addiction. Now, can they do good? Yeah, look at addiction. But can they do good? Life. Can society do good? I mean, we've seen it. I mean, we saw the people rallied around Houston after Hurricane Harvey. That was a mass effort of the people and of people like Mattress Mac to come together and make this city such a great thing. 
But there were the, were there people who definitely dropped the ball? Yeah. And you know what's so funny about the people who dropped the ball? They were church people. <laughs> yeah. They were Joel Osteen. They were Yeah. And, and so my bigger point is this. We need to not dissociate ourselves from evil. And we need to understand that we are the evil people. Like, we are the people who are capable of the evil. And that it, the only thing restraining us is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the fact that we submit to the Holy Spirit because we're Christians. Absolutely. And that's something that I, I, I don't think a lot of people think about it, but if you, and, and if you just look at your own personal life, can you really tell me that you always make good choices? Just start there. Start with yourself. Do you always make good choices about your diet? Do you always make good choices about going to work out? Do you always make good choices at work? Do you always act in a selfless manner at work every day, 24-7? Is there ever a time where you mess up on that? How about your pornography addiction or your alcoholism or insert whatever? Think about that. Now, magnify the stakes by billions. Do you really want to put that in the hands of an individual or do you want to have conflicting interests pushing us towards the betterment of man, which is what a three-party system in a government, and hopefully you have other governments that do the same thing, or not three-party, a uh, three-branch system of government does in the United States. Just something to think about. Just think about that. It's a good it's a good poll there, Josh. Moving over to the chair of politics. When people talk about a stronger globe, a stronger political system, from a Christian perspective, how should we approach folks who say that we it would be better if the government came in and helped us do the things that we're unwilling to do because we're selfish, say like provide for the poor or say provide for a war, a war a world without wars with a world without wars what's the christian response to government's responsibility in there and then of course any other closing thoughts you have today well the biblical perspective of government is government is to promote good and punish evil um promote good punish evil does not necessarily mean that uh you're handing out to individuals but let me just say this Human nature um, is flawed, and the government cannot do for the people the way they think they can. I mean, it's a great idea, but people have to make daily choices every day. And the reason you have poor, more than likely, is because of choices, that they have made. That's why in America, the system is set up that you can come out of a poor family and be very wealthy because you make better choices. You get a better education. You go out, you work hard. So the poor are not poor because it's been, uh, the government has made them poor. It's because of choices they've made. It's very easy to go back and, and study that out. So going back just real quick, the lady who was talking about all the services that you were going to have, who's providing those services? The government and the corporations. Well, what's the incentive to get people? I mean, you have help wanted signs all over the place here. Restaurants that can't get people to work. We have a system now where it used to be that if you didn't show up for work, you got fired. Not anymore. So you think that these people who are not going to be incentivized with making money 
that everybody's going to be equal, that they're going to go out and, and provide this wonderful service for you? I don't think so. Where's the innovation going to come that's from? That's right. Where's the innovation going to come from? And that's something that I think is greatly lost on, on us. That's a really good good pull there. You look at the Soviet Union, you look at the automotive industry in the Soviet Union. You all realize that there were, were one, maybe two models of cars in all of Eurasia that was governed by the USSR. It was the same model that came out in like 1950-something. And it was still being produced, the same model. It was still being produced in the 1980s, in the 1990s, when the wall finally fell, and the Iron Curtain finally fell. Do you want to drive a new car? Or anything, at least something that is not a 50-year-old design? Do you want modern amenities? Do you want any of those things? Well... Just a thought there, just putting that out there. By the way, if you want to know who's going to be incentivized, it's going to be people like Elizabeth Warren in the government structure. They're going to be the ones incentivized to do this, but they're not going to be incentivized to do anything that makes your life better. It's just what keeps you calm. And and I'm not poking on Elizabeth Warren just because. I'm saying she's one of these individuals who's actively called, links in the description below to all the news stories, she's actively called to corporatize the institutions like Detroit Automotives, all of these industries that the government's bailing out, banking, automotive industry, the healthcare industry. What do you think Pfizer's getting out of all of this? You guys realize that they have been getting money. Yeah, Daniel's doing this. The money. They're getting Boku dollars out of this. Hundreds, I, and I, I'm not kidding, hundreds of billions of dollars in money is passing through. And they're being bailed out. These companies, why do you think they were going to bail out the student loans? We talked about that a few episodes back. Go check out student. what happens during student loan debt uh, forgiveness. Who was really getting paid? Not the students. It flowed right from the government's printing press directly into the financial institutions, Discovery, SoftBank. Who's own, who owns those? The folks in the Treasury, who, like the, the, the CEO Larry Fink in the Treasury, who's number two in the U.S. Treasury – he gets 5%. He owns 5% of Discover Financial, like 6% of SoftBank. Don't quote me. It changes day to day. These people are printing themselves a check. This is not laissez-faire capitalism like they'd like they'd have you believe. This is not capital capitalism at any stretch. This is socialism by a different stripe. They call it corporatism, where the corporations are run by the government and the owners become the new elite ruling class from the chair of economics here. If you didn't figure out where I'm sitting right now, hypothetically over there, because I'm producing, think about this. Do you really want to give your self, your freedom, your life to a world government that is exclusively incentivized to make as much money off you as possible and give you as little as possible so that you can eat bugs, no more steak, eat bugs and vegetables, maybe vegetables, and live in as small of a cubicle as they can give you because that is what's coming. And for those of you who say, this world's not my home. I'm just happy to be here and I'm okay. I don't need. What did Jesus say? He said, 
some these things must come to place or come to pass, but woe to whom him through whom they come. If you're in America, you're part of the governing structure. Be part of taking down the high places, the homosexuality, the promiscuity, the death of children to Moloch. Do you think that those things are not going to come back in full tilt in America? We're fighting a little bit of a culture where they were getting some of it, getting some of it done. Do you not think that those things are not going to come full tilt back in a new world order? When you have Prince Charles, when you have or King Prince Charles, I'm calling sorry, Prince Charles. Uh, uh, and you have Carl Schwab all pushing for the woke agenda. You're going to see all that wickedness come back, and it's going to come back in full swing, and it is going to hit you, and you are going to be persecuted for it. So maybe it's coming, but maybe instead of letting it happen, maybe we should fight it a little bit, be salt and light. Just a thought. But that's it. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, and uh, tell us what we should be doing uh, in the future. This is coming out a day before Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So tell us down in the comment section below if you did enjoy this podcast. And if you didn't, I'm so sorry. Uh, smash that uh, dislike button in multiples of two. And uh, we love you. Have a good day. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Okay. If you're still there, uh, fun thing. What is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? Starting with, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll start with uh, uh, Miss Nikki, and we'll work our way around. Apple pie. Apple pie. Okay. What? Uh, what say you, Joshua? I'm gonna go for a twofer. I'm gonna give you a dessert, and I'm gonna give you an entree. Dessert, pumpkin pie. Entree, the cranberry dressing. Oh, cranberry dressing. Comes from the okay. Can. Okay. And then, what about the Daniel? I'm a meat guy, as you can tell. I'm a Pretty fat from all that meat. (laughs) Uh, Ham all the way with a little bit of turkey. So you you are what you you eat. You you do both at the same time. Yes, I am a pig. (laughs) You are what you eat. I am a pig with feathers. Oh, my goodness. A.K.A. a turkey. Oh, my goodness. Uh, You know, I got to say, unpopular opinion, hot take, turkey is way overrated. Oh, amen. I like like brisket for Thanksgiving. Okay. And I know that's not your traditional dish. It's one of my favorite. But then if you want to go with a pie, uh, they call it boysenberry or bumbleberry. Bumbleberry pie where you have all of the blue and black. Like you got blueberry, blackberry, and um, what's the other blackberry? I can never remember. I always forget. Raspberry. Yeah, it, but they're all blue. And it's a mixture of all the blueberry pies. It's all in one. It's like, it's amazing. So tell us in the comment section your favorite uh, dish of the season. And uh, remember, be thankful that we live in a nation that uh, is still sort of free. With that said, love you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.